Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. The point so far that Paul's made here, the big picture, is that we all have different gifts. The motivating energy behind those gifts is the gift of the, is the Holy Spirit who energizes it. And our attitude is one of love, which means we're not in it for what we get out of it. We're in it for what others get out of it. And as soon as we become self-serving and self-seeking in the exercise of our spiritual gift, we've invalidated the power of the Spirit. Okay? And then in verse 8, this is one of the toughest verses here. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. There's, there's a billion ways to interpret this verse. All right, but I'll tell you how you need to interpret it. I'll give you the right answer. How's that? Okay. That's one of the few times I'm going to give you the right answer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. First of all, when Paul says love never fails, in what sense does love never fail? It's eternal. It's eternal, right? What of, of, of love and hope and faith, because he comes back, Verse 13, now by faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest is love. Why is love the greatest of those three qualities? Reality. But love yeah. is eternal. It's an attribute of God. Right. But in, in the, yeah, it's the motivating. The point is when you look at our hope, someday we're not going to hope, right? Because we're going to have the reality. What is faith? Faith is believing in the unseen. But someday we will see it. But love is an eternal quality that we will have for eternity. What do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? Loving one another. We're not going to be worried in heaven about we're not getting enough tension from God and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to fall into the pettiness that we face in today's world. In eternity, we're, every, every individual in heaven is going to be consumed with the benefit of everyone else in heaven, and it's going to be a wonderful place. All right? And Paul is saying that love will never fail because love is an eternal quality that will exist forever. However, what will fail? In the sense of failing, what does he mean by failing here? Ending, stopping. It doesn't mean failing in the sense that it would try, like to do it, but it didn't quite get there. That's what we think of when we think of fail. He's saying stopping. So you've got three things that he talks about here, representatively, that's going to stop. What three things are they? Well, prophecies. What's prophecies? What does he mean by prophecies? Preaching, speaking. Okay. So prophecies are it's going to stop at some point. And then what's another one? Well, tongues or languages. It's going to stop. Do we need to speak in tongues in heaven? No, because no, we're going to know every, yeah, we're not going to need to speak in a different language. There'll be one language, whatever that will be. And then it says, whether it be knowledge, what is knowledge there, do you think? 
Knowledge of what? It means we're going to be all dummies in heaven? No. No, it just means there's no need. Are we going to need preachers and teachers in heaven? No. No, because we're going to all know it. We don't need preachers and teachers in heaven. All right? Now, the words he uses here, you got to go back to the Greek text and the Greek verb. Right? Understand what it is he's talking about. Okay? When he term prophecies, where the prophecies fail, he uses called a passive voice. What's the passive voice? Anybody take English in here? Right. So prophecy is in a passive voice, which means some external agency is going to cause it to stop. Okay. Where the prophecies, they will fail. How will they fail? They will fail because there's an external agency that's going to cause it to stop. Something is going to cause it to stop outside of itself. Okay. And as the same verb form used in knowledge. Knowledge is in a passive verb form, which means something external is going to cause knowledge to stop. What is going to cause knowledge and prophecy to stop in the context? The eternal state, the eternal state that which is perfect. Okay. Tongues is in another voice called the middle. What's the middle voice? There's active, passive, and middle. Active voice says, I hit the ball. Passive voice says, the ball hit me. The middle voice says, I hit myself with the ball. It's reflective. It's a reflective action. Okay? So this is the way you interpret this. Prophecies and knowledge are going to be caused to stop by something external that's going to cause it to stop. Tongues are going to stop all by themselves. It's not going to stop because of any external agency. Okay? And the Greek text is very clear on this. I'm not making this up. You can if you want to study Greek for four years. You can do that and read it and find out, well, I guess he is right. It is the middle voice. Um, tongues are going to stop in and of themselves. All right? But prophecy and knowledge are going to be stopped by an external force, which is that which is perfect has come. Okay? Now, <clears throat> when you look at this whole thing of not tongues stopping in and of themselves, what does that tell you? The fact that he used a different verb tense, what does that mean? What, what, how would you interpret that? The need for them is going away before what? Before the perfect has come, right? In other words, this is going to stop before these things do. These things are going to be stopped because the perfect thing is going to stop them. This thing is just going to stop in and of themselves. Implied is, this is going to stop when? Before. Before the perfect thing. Okay? It was still operative when Paul wrote this. But I mean, it stopped shortly after. Yeah, and then that's when you bring in history. And when you look at history... When you look at it historically, this whole thing of tongues, it stopped. All right? When did tongues start? Yeah. Uh, at Pentecost, right? Yeah. So Acts 2 takes place when? What year? No. 
depending on what date you pick, it's either 30 or 33 AD. Okay? It's one of those dates. It depends on which date you pick for the crucifixion. All right? Whichever date you pick, all right, that's when you had tongues start. And then what, what do you notice historically in the early church? If you, do, if, you, if you read all of the works of all the early church fathers, what are you going to find? It went down. Oh, they did. The, the heretics spoke in tongues. All right. Yeah. And what you see, what you see historically in the church, historically what you see is once you get down here sometime in the mid-50s, tongues isn't mentioned at all. None of the early church fathers talk about it. Clement of Alexandria doesn't talk about it. Um, the pastor epistles have nothing in it about it. It stopped. It stopped. And that goes along with it being a signed gift. In fact, that's what Peter talks about it being a signed gift. In Joel, when God talks judgmentally, when he's talking about Israel because of their rejection, I'm going to speak to you with tongues of other. If you don't listen to me in the language you can understand, I'll bring somebody in who can't who speak in a language you can't understand. It's a judgmental thing. It's an act of judgment by God. And it was a sign to the Jews. And Paul's going to pick that up in Acts in chapter 14 here. All right. But what you see is it stopped. And there's no mention of tongues again in church history until you got the Azusa Street in 1960 or whatever, when all of a sudden you have this resurgent ecstatic speech, not language. This is ecstatic speech, supposedly. Um, going on, starting in L.A., and then it spread throughout parts of Christianity. All right. But there's Middle Ages doesn't talk about tongues. You know, all the all the church fathers in the first and second and third centuries A.D., no mention of tongues. Um, the only time that they, they, they are mentioned is there's a heretical branch called Montanus. Montanism is a Montanism. Okay. And Montanism was run by two female um, prophets, supposedly, that spoke in tongues and got revelation. And it was branded heretically, branded as heresy by the church. Other than that, the, you don't have tongues at all. All right. So you can make the case that what, in fact, Paul said here is true. The tongues stopped. They stopped in and of themselves. I know I've mentioned this before. I, mean, I don't really, I've never understood the significance of this. I, one few years ago, I, I, had to give, I was going to give my testimony outside of the church to a group, and they wanted to pray before I started. And standing there, and a couple guys around me, all of a sudden I heard this, you know, and I mean, it really gave me an icy. I felt like I needed an exorcism. You I, probably I, did. No, no, I mean, what, what's, I didn't understand, but all of a sudden I realized that's where they were going. It's just one person. Just rattling off these words, you know, and I don't know what the whole significance of that was. Scared me, really did. Um, I felt like it was worse instead of better. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it. You know, it's learned behavior. It's learned behavior. You know, and, and, you know, they'd like to think that that's the Holy Spirit talking, but we're going to find out in chapter 14, they violate all the rules that Paul laid down for if it was the valid gift. They're not following the rules laid down by Paul, which in and of itself will tell you what. It's not the valid gift. 
All right. It's not being exercised validly in the valid way that Paul lays out because he's going to give them the rules for it in Acts, or not Acts, but in um, 1 Corinthians 14. The same way, the same way the preachers that she's talking about maneuver around things. Here, here's the problem. Here, here, here's an aside on it. As a student of scripture, you've got to make all the verses fit. Whatever you want to believe, whatever doctrinal notion you have, all the scripture has to fit. You can't pick the pieces you like and punt the rest. All right. And, and that, that goes with any doctrinal issue. If you want to believe that tongues are valid today, you got to make all the passages fit. All right. You can't you can't say I believe in tongues, but I don't like first Corinthians 14. So we're going to ignore that because that's just Paul spouting there. You know, you, you can't do that. You want to say that there are valid women elders and preachers today. That's fine. But you got to make first Timothy two and first Corinthians 11 fit whatever interpretation you have. You can't take those pieces of scripture you like and throw out the rest. And that's what preachers and pastors and teachers and all of us do to an extent. We are certain doctrines that we really love and really like, and we key in on those verses, and, and we forget about the balancing passages. There's a balancing passage. There are people that want to believe in the sovereignty of God, and I am a five-point Calvinist as the day is long. I was chosen in eternity past before time began. My salvation has nothing to do with me, everything to do with God. But I got to deal with the passage of whosoever will may come. I can't throw that verse out and just take the ones that I like and throw out the rest. Nor can I get to the whosoever will may come and, and, and forget about, well, what's it say here when it says I was chosen before the foundation of the world? What does that mean? Oh, I don't like that one. I'll just forget that and sort of go around it. And, you know, you can't do that. And so wherever you land on spiritual gifts and on healing and on everything, you got to make all the passages in the Bible fit. If you want to believe that there are apostolic gifts of healing today, then they should match what you see in the scripture. If you want to believe that tongues are valid today, that's all right. I think you're wrong, but that's all right. But you got to make it match what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 and elsewhere. You've you got to make all the verses fit. You can't pick the ones you like and throw out the rest. And when you look at what Paul is saying here, I, I think he, it's, it's very clear. He uses different verb forms to make a point. Tongues are going to stop. There's coming a day when we're not going to need prophecy and knowledge, but tongues will stop. And when is that? Well, that's the perfect thing. Now, the perfect thing has been interpreted all kinds of different ways. Some say, well, the perfect thing is uh, the giving of the scripture. Well, let's stop and think about it. When was the scripture completely given? <clears throat> Well, 100 A.D., somewhere around in there, 95, 96, somewhere around in there. Um, do we still need preachers and knowledge today? Well, that can't be the perfect thing, right? That can't be the complete thing. By the way, perfect in the Bible not only means perfect in the sense of perfection, but complete, whole, done, over with. All right? So that can't be the perfect thing. Some say, well, it's the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. But what do you have in the millennial kingdom? You still have people preaching and teaching. What is the one place where you don't have preaching and teaching and the need for preaching and teaching? The eternal state. I think that's the best interpretation. And it fits in with what he says here 
when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I came a man, I put away childish things. Now, let me just, I got to make this point. That does not mean we have a little child within us that we got to psychologically deal with. That ticks me off. I heard some guy at this church spout this off about our inner child and all that. And I wanted to get up and slap him. Um, I didn't do that. That's probably not a good thing to do at that point. Um, that would have been rude. Yeah, I had a little badge on it called counselor because I was a deacon at that point. It gives a little badge called counselor on it with our name on it. I was wearing this badge. He thought I was some kind of Christian counselor, I guess. You know, and he said before they before he he went into this thing before he gave his uh, spiel, he you know he, he said oh, I see you're a counselor. He said no, I'm just deacon here. He said well you know I, I think you'll really be you know encouraged and thrilled and you know um, what I'm going to say is going to help be helpful to you. Well, in three hours, he used three Bible verses, all of them pulled out of context. This is one of them that he pulled out of context. And he came up during the luncheon break, and he, he said, you know, well, what do you think about what I said, you know? You spoke the truth in love? I did. I said, boy, I said, that's like giving a man a loaded gun and telling him to point it at you and pull the trigger. I think I... He spilled his coffee all over my coat. <laughs> he got all shook up. And, and of course, a couple of guys, they were dying. They, thought, they were trying to keep from dying laughing, you know. But I, it was horrid. This is not talking about, what's Paul, what's the point Paul is making? Oh, it does, you know. One of the guys was there saying, I wonder what Schaefer's self-talk, he's talking about self-talk, you know, this guy. I wonder what Schaefer's self-talk is here now, you know. I'm just shaking my head, just, golly, most of Jeez. He was talking about some lady that, that he was counseling, and she she missed her childhood. So his counselor, her, and this is a 35, 40-year-old woman, is after work every day, she, her, part of her therapy is she had to go play on the playground for 30 minutes every day. You know, swing on swings, go down a slot. Can you imagine that? Man, I, tell, I, I don't know. But this is not talking about the child within. What Paul is saying is there comes, when you're a kid, you think like a kid, but there comes a day when you grow up and you no longer need to think like a child. You no longer have the restrictions of a child. Why? Because you've grown up. And, what he's, and then he says here, for now, and this is the analogy, now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. What's he saying there? Now it's not clear. Now in those days, mirrors were not clear like they are today. They were polished metal and you were distorted and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Think about looking through a, 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 a window pane that's, that's all fogged up. You know, as we, as we look at the scripture, do we see the scripture clearly? No. No, because we, because of our human fallibilities and our, our, you know, our inability to completely and fully understand God's truth and have a full knowledge of everything. We see bits and pieces. We see glimmers. We see we see pieces of it. But we don't see it clear. But what's going to happen someday? It's going to all make sense. We're going to see it clearly. And that's what Paul is trying. That's the analogy Paul is saying. When you're like a child, you think like a child. But then you become mature. You don't think like a kid anymore. Right now, we see through a mirror darkly. We don't have all the answers. But someday, what will we have? All the answers. When does that happen? eternal state. That's when all the answers come. Until then, we see through a mirror darkly.
We see through a foggy glass. And that's what he says here. And now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love is the one that endures into the eternal state. So what Paul is trying to get at here in this love chapter, he's trying to say, here's the motivating factor for exercising your spiritual gift. It is love. It is not self-serving, self-aggrandizement. It's the benefit of others. And why is that so important? Because Love is something that is eternal. It's something that never fades. It never goes away. And in eternity, we will be able to fully love like we can't now. All this, all these spiritual gifts, all the gifts are going to go away someday. You don't need an eternal state. Do you need somebody with the gift of giving? No. You need somebody with the gift of ruling? No, we're all perfect, right? Who are you going to rule over? Everybody's perfect. You know, we don't need the, these are, these gifts, all of these gifts are temporary for this time. Someday they're no longer needed. But the love that derives the gifts are something that's going to go on forever. That's something that always is going to be there. The rest of the stuff is temporary. Love is eternal. And that's the better way he's trying to tell him. So you guys, you're all out trying to find the showy, flashy gift. You're always trying to jockey for position, trying to be one up on somebody else and make yourself out to be the spiritual, godly, wonderful person. He says, your motivation is all wrong. You're, you're, you're being motivated by selfish reasons. Love is what should motivate you. So I think this is my observation of 14. Mm-hmm. Paul saying, abide, faith, hope, love, faith, hope. So we have to watch the attention, which one first? The faith first. And then after faith, hope coming. After hope, perfectly love coming. And what is... This process is a sanctification yeah. process. I think that's a good observation. I mean, we got to have faith. What is faith? Faith is believing God for something that you haven't seen, right? Faith brings reality. Right. Faith brings, in, in the Christian life, you can't love unless you're a believer, right? Right. At least in a, in a right sense, you can't love. Only Christians can love. Yeah. And hope, what is hope? Hope is a firm conviction of a future reality. It's I don't have it yet, but I will. It's not, well, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. I'm not sure about this thing, you know. It's, it's a firm conviction of a future reality. That's what hope is. I haven't got it yet, but someday I'll have it. I'm just waiting for that event. But when we have, when we hit the eternal state, our faith is realized, our hope is realized. We're no longer walking by faith. We're walking by sight. What abides forever? Love. That's the one thing that's eternal. Then verse 14 says, pursue love. What should you be pursuing? The gifts? No. What are you to pursue? What it means, by the way, pursue there means to chase after with a point of catching. It doesn't mean to trot along behind. Think of it as a lion going after something to eat. The lion's hungry. He's not going to just trot around and try to find some antelope that will acquiesce to being dinner. He's got to Chase the thing down. Pursue love and desire, desire spirituals, desire, 
desire or want to exercise your gift, but what are you to pursue? Love. That's the thing you got to follow after. And especially that you may prophesy. Oh, wait a minute. What is what is the one gift? What's the one spiritual enablement we all should want to do? And what does it mean to prophesy? To speak before. Okay. Now, now here's the point. All of us have a spiritual gift that we're best at. Okay. But we should exercise or try to exercise all of the gifts to a degree, right? So if you have to exercise all the gifts to a degree, which one do you really want to exercise? Tongues? Prophecy. What does it mean to prophesy? To speak before? He's going to define that here. For he who speaks in a tongue or a language, again, language there, does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. If you're speaking in a tongue and there are people not around that understand what you're saying, who's edified? Nobody. You're speaking to God. Now, you may understand what you're saying, but you're speaking to God. You're, it's not helping anybody around you. No, they don't know what they're saying. But he who prophesies speaks what? The one who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to all men. Implied in that speaks exhortation um, and edification and comfort is what? People can understand what you're saying. That's how you build people up. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. The tongue here Paul is using, it's the valid gift of tongues, but there's no one around to understand what you're saying. If I stand here today and I start speaking in Greek, that doesn't help you. I may be perfectly edified by it because I know what I'm saying to some extent. <laughs> I'm not a Greek expert, but. If you start speaking in Korean, he might be perfectly edified. I have no idea what he's talking about. But he might be saying something profound in Korean. And that's the point Paul's making here. If you speak in a tongue, who gets edified? And, 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 and implied in the speaking in tongue, no one is around you to interpret it. Who's edified? Well, you and God. Nobody else is. Nobody else is going to benefit by that. And this is the valid language. Again, it's not gobbledygook. It's language. It has a structure, a syntax, and it's interpreted. It can be interpreted. But he who prophesies edifies what? The church. Prophesies in a language that the church can understand. You're building up the church. He said, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesied is greater <coughs> than he who speaks with tongue. What? Unless indeed... He interprets that the church may receive edification. What's this? It's language. Now, if, if you would speak in Korean and then tell them, okay, here's what I'm saying. Suli, I'm sorry. Is that right? Si. Si, I'm sorry. I, get, I, got, I work with a guy named Yi. Yi, so I keep, I get, E, C, Lee. All right. All right. Si, Lee. Um, if he speaks in Korean and then he stops and says, okay, here's what I said. I'm edified. I'm built up. I went to a church service at MacArthur's church and had a guy from Russia speak. 
and he spoke what? Russian. Now, you know what? He could have spoke a perfectly profound sermon and I would have been bored out of my skull, you know. But they had somebody there that interpreted. You know, he would say a sentence and that guy would interpret it. And it was neat to hear what he what he had to say. It was a very profound, you know, edifying sermon. But I, I had to have an interpreter. That's what Paul is talking about here. If you have somebody speaking a tongue, what do you need? An interpreter to edify. Now, think about the average charismatic service today. Do they have interpreters? That guy was, was blabbering and whatever he blabbered in. Did that help you? Was that edifying to you? Yeah, it the opposite. <laughs> no, it didn't. There was no, there was no benefit to that. So, in verse five and in verse two and four, they're speaking of the same type of tongue. It's a language. It's all language. It's language. Languages. Languages. It's languages. Now, one of the things here, um, what MacArthur does, and you might want to trace this through. You don't have the MacArthur commentary, but he does a good job in the MacArthur commentary. He says, where you see tongues plural, it is languages. And where you see tongues singular, it's the ecstatic gobbledygook that they're. How many gobbledygooks do you have? One. All right. You can have many different languages, but there's one non-language, basically. But that, that wouldn't have made sense to them, would it? They weren't thinking of ecstatic languages, were they? This, this word means languages. Okay. And in Acts, it's languages. Okay. And throughout the New Testament, it's languages. It's always been languages. So the Corinthians, as he was speaking to them, they didn't have the idea of language. They, they, they had an ecstatic language. They were picking it up from Delphi. And Paul's saying that's not okay. tongues. That's not language. That's ecstatic, whatever it is. And, and it was practice. You got to understand, you got, you know, go back culturally. It was practice in the pagan religions. All right. This ecstatic speech. And the idea is the more ecstatic and out of control and, and whatever you were, the more in communion you were with the deities, whatever they would be. That's how that's how MacArthur would. Well, you got you got you got to follow it in. MacArthur does a good job of following that through. Yeah, in the in the in a MacArthur. Con I would encourage you to to snag the MacArthur commentary, at least the chapters out of it. it might help you a little bit. Of, um, confusing in that. In the second half, it says, because of the Spirit, it speaks mystery. Mm -hmm. So it infers maybe something else. The, the point, the point Paul's trying to make in the argument <coughs> that, that I think that you, for those who want to believe in tongues need to make, is that when they, whatever, if they believe it's not an ecstatic language, it's actually a valid spiritual gift, who are they edifying? themselves, not even themselves, most of the time they don't know what they're talking about, but God. Let's, let's, fall on, let's, just, say, let's just say for the sake of argument that, that there is a valid ecstatic speech, just for the sake of argument here. Who's that person edifying? Who, who understands what that person is saying? I don't think there's any ecstatic language. There isn't. It's, it's, it's gobbledy. I think you have a prayer language within yourself to God, not to 
me to you. And the point, but the point, yeah. And there's some, there are some that, that, that believe that. Okay. The issue is number one, you don't find any scriptural evidence for a private prayer language. One. Other than if you interpret uh, um, Romans 8.26, the spirit bears witness with our spirit. or I mean, the spirit um, makes intercession with groanings which can't be uttered. The point there is that spirit groanings can't be spoken. They're, they're a non-audible language. All right. And that's the spirit who bears witness. But the point of the Bible that, that I think that, that is made in Scripture is that you're edified and you're built up when you know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And when you understand what it is you're saying, is there a, a groaning within our spirit that, that somehow is there? Yeah, I mean, the spirit makes that an in, in, in utterable groan, so to speak. Um, that's an inner Trinitarian communication. But people who want to take the leap next to say, well, when I'm speaking in tongues, that's my ecstatic prayer or my prayer language to God. The question is, well, what are you praying for? You know, and the answer is, I don't know what I'm praying for. Well, then how does it help you? How does it benefit you? Well, they always go back to the you know, of building yourself up. But how does it build you up? That's the question. How are you built up? Because the point Paul's going to make in, in just a couple of verses is I'd rather speak five words in a language that people can understand than 10,000 in a language you can't. Because what's going to build you up? That which you can understand. I wouldn't dispute what you're saying. I was trying to get a more yeah. understanding on verse 2. Jesus well, it, it's... The, the point, I think what Paul is trying to say there, again, when Paul wrote this, there was a valid gift of tongues, Right? There was. There was a valid gift of tongues. That was the ability to speak supernaturally in an unknown language that you didn't know, that you didn't learn. All right. It's almost like you standing up, you know, and all of a sudden you're speaking in Chinese validly. And if there's a Chinese guy here, he'd be nodding and understanding what it is you're saying. But it's a, it's a language that you would understand. But the rest of us would not understand what you're saying. So therefore, in that context, if you're the only one here, who would benefit from you speaking in Korean? Well, why would it say, but speak it not unto men, but unto God? Because I don't understand what you're saying. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor, yeah. yeah. It's metaphorical language. If, if ye, I'm talking, C, I'm sorry. If C begins right now to pray in Korean, he is edified and God knows what he's talking about. Does it help you? No, it's a, you don't know what it, it's no benefit. For all you know, he could be telling a story of little Bo Peep. You have no idea whether he is or not. You don't know. The Korean version of little Bo Peep. Yeah. 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 And, and Paul's trying to make the point here is that there are people in the Corinthian church with the gift of language, the ability to speak in a non-foreign language. And if they speak in that foreign language, they're the only ones that know it. Who's benefited? They are. God is, maybe, because God knows what they're talking about, but no one else is. It, it, when, you know, when like I saw on TV where you know ministers would start praying, then they'll say, I don't know, no, 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 no. you know, they be saying stuff like, um, I, I don't know what it is. I, I think I'd, I'd be trying to know, but 
then they'll break out in some language like well, the, the, the point is, there have been analyses done. I'm not making this up. There are linguists who study language. And they have they've recorded hours and hours and hours of this static stuff. And they can't find any discernible syntax or word order or anything in it. It's like a baby babbling. They can't, they, it's not language. What does language have? Structure, syntax, words. This is not. They, they, they are, now you say, well, that's just because it's a supernatural language known only to God. But even God speaks in structure, right? How did God speak to us? He spoke to us in words that we could understand. Could, what if Jesus Christ came down and spoke and preached in a language that nobody could understand? We're screwed, right? We have no idea what he said. The point Paul is making is... Languages need to be interpreted because if they're not, it doesn't do anybody any good. But the one who knows it. So when they say that all the and all that stuff after praying, we don't know what it means. They don't know what it means. Oh, okay. They'll make something up, but they don't know what it means. And there's nobody there saying, "Well, you know, this guy's saying blah 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 blah." There's no interpreter there. What if they did? You know. Yeah, I've heard them. I've got examples of dueling tongues where they got one guy dueling and, you know, they're going back and forth and the audience is clapping and cheering them on. It's like it's a big zoo, you know. Yeah. When I got saved, I came from a Catholic church to a charismatic church, but then I had friends that were Pentecostal and went to churches where it was very... Like what you're saying, it's, it was very um, chaotic. Yeah, it was a free fall. It was a free fall. I mean, I've been to churches that that there have been, mm -hmm. in my knowledge, that it's been legit. It's not a show. It's not a who's better. It's not. And, and I would it's not in the uproar. It's not yeah. taking over a whole. Story. And I would personally argue against the legitimacy of it today, only because historically you see it gone. Yeah. Gone it's for centuries. Same you know. And the same with healing. You know, was it valid? Absolutely it was. But there came a point where Paul couldn't heal. All right. I mean, you see in the book of Acts, you see his ability to heal taper off. When he got down on the end of his life, he wasn't healing people. You know. We still have that gift. You know, we wouldn't need Wycliffe translators or, you know, people. Yeah. But, 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 but see, here's the beauty of this. And this is the point I'm trying to, sort of I'm trying to make. The gift of tongues does continue in a sense in people who are gifted with the ability of languages. It's not miraculous anymore, but it's certainly, there are people that have a knack to pick up language, you know, and we need those kind of people. And when they're in the service of the Lord, you know, they're, they're powerful, you know, to be able to translate. And it's interesting, I went down to a campus crusade and they, they, they share a campus, like there's a little lake. And then they have the Wycliffe, I think it's the Wycliffe Bible translators on the other side of the lake. And uh, they have a real neat little um, like museum type thing. You can go in there and look and see. And it shows how they go into native language or native setting and develop an alphabet and develop a grammar and how to how they train. It's fascinating what they do. And there are people that have that gift. It's not the miraculous gift because if it did, you wouldn't have to go to language school, right? But you have to go to language school to learn it. All right. What Paul's trying to get at here is that when you 
when it, this exercise of tongues, which was a valid one, this ability to speak in language, because Paul said, I speak in languages. What language does Paul speak in? See, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, we know of, a couple others. He says, I speak, I speak several languages. But if I speak in a language that you don't understand, it doesn't help you. Think of Bart, who before he was recovering Catholic, whatever he was, and went to Catholic Mass, and they were up there doing their whatever thing in Latin. Was that very edifying to you? It wasn't edifying, but I have most of it memorized yet. He probably knows most of it. He has no idea what it says, but... No, really, until they finally yeah. You have no idea what it means, you know? You have a formal religion that doesn't mean anything. And then it says in verse 6, But now, brethren, I come to you speaking with tongues, if I come to you, speaking with tongues, languages, what does it profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? The point is, what is what's he saying about the ecstatic speech? It's got to have meaning, and how do you know it has meaning? There's a distinction in sounds that you can pick up and understand, interpret some way, as language or as music. You know, it's like an orchestra is tuning up. You know, it's a cacophony. You know, all kinds of sounds, and then and then you know the guy gets up and taps the thingy, whatever it is, and you got beautiful music coming out. Unless it's a rock band, which you still don't have beautiful music coming out. But the whole point is, he's trying to make a point that that how do you know? Language. Language has a syntax, a st structure. Is there's a distinctiveness in sounds that can be followed. That's not what the ecstatic speech was in those days. It was blather. It was got nobody knew what it meant. It was just and it's learned behavior. You can learn how to do that and switch it on and off. And interestingly, most pagan religions have somewhere in them a group or a sect that has tongues. Mormonism does, Catholicism does. Um, the ancient Jewish religions did. There's even some in Islam. Zoroastrianism had this stuff. This is this is universal stuff. This is not something unique. The Book of Acts made it unique in that they were able to speak a language that people could understand and know what it said miraculously. And Paul is saying, if I come to you and I'm speaking in a tongue, it's not going to profit you anything if you don't understand what I'm saying. It doesn't mean anything. I could be doing anything, but you wouldn't know what it meant. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? What's the point there? Now, you got to go back in those days. How'd you, on a battlefield, how do you know what you're supposed to do? The trumpeter would sound. He'd play some tune or some ditty that would let you know what it is you were supposed to do. All right. That's where the fife and drums chord came from. You know that? I didn't know that when I went to Williamsburg. They said, you know, they played different tunes. They go through the streets and they would play a different tune. Depending on what tune they were playing, that would tell you whether well, you have to get back to camp or whether all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the, the trumpeter, the bugler would blow and you would know what it is you're supposed to play Reveille or whatever it is. You would know what you're supposed to do. And Paul's saying, if you can't pick out the sounds of the trumpet, how are you going to know what you're supposed to do? You don't. And he said, if the trumpet makes, who prepare for battle? How do you, if the trumpeter makes a sound, you don't, am I supposed to get ready for battle or am I supposed to go to bed now? 
You know, you got to know what what it means. And that's the point. If somebody gets up and speaks something, you're saying, what's he saying? It doesn't do you any good. You don't know what you should do. So likewise, you, unless you utter by tongues the words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? If you don't speak in a language that somebody can understand, how do they know what you're saying? They don't. For you'll be speaking to the what? Air. You're speaking into the air. Again, if C, I got it right. If C preached a sermon in Korean, he'd be speaking to the air right now. Because I don't think anybody in here knows Korean. He'd be talking to the air. And, and, and Paul is saying, I don't want to talk to the air. I want you to understand what it is I'm saying. Unless you utter by the tongue words, even how will it be known when it said, for you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of language in the world, and none of them is without significance. What does it mean? There's a lot of languages, but none are without significance in what sense? There's a group that can speak it. There's a group that can understand it. Okay? And each language has a significance to a group of people. Therefore, I... If I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. If I don't understand what is being said, it doesn't do me one bit of good. One bit of good. I can't understand it, and I will sound like a foreigner, a barbarian, you know, someone who can't, you know, that comes from the word bar, 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 bar. The idea there is, you know, to the, to the, Romans, anybody who did not speak Latin was a bar, 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 bar. They just noise. They didn't understand what they were saying. He said, I'm going to be a foreigner to people. They're going to be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Let it be for the edification. What's, okay, now, what's he trying to say there? For the edification of the church. And how is it? That the church is edified. Yeah. You can understand what is being said. If the pastor gets up and preaches to you in a, in a foreign language, it doesn't do you any good. You got to understand what is being said. Because that's how you're going to be built up. You're going to be built up by under. And here's the point. This is the point you're trying to make. God always engages your brain. How are you edified? You're edified by the, by the um, exercise of your understanding and comprehension. You're not edified by gobbledygook talk. You're not edified if you don't understand what it is you're doing. You're not built up. All right? And that's what he's trying to get at here. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. If I pray in a language, and this is the valid gift here. And he's going between the two. You've got to follow the text. Paul's saying, if God gives me a, a language to preach in, but I don't understand what it is I'm saying, and there's no one around that understands me, it's unfruitful. We need somebody to interpret. We need somebody to understand what is being said or to be able to interpret what I'm saying so that people can understand it. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with under and I will also pray with what? 
Understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with what? Understanding. 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 What do you say? It's Yes, he does say the work is and because because there was a miraculous component at that time, right? It is. You got to follow. You got to follow his arguments really closely. There was a when he wrote this, there was a valid gift of tongues. Acts two had it, right? Do you think the the guys who there, the people who spoke in tongues, did they understand what it was they were necessarily saying? No, but the people who heard them understood what they were saying. And what were they saying? The wonderful works of God. They were preaching. They didn't know what it is they were saying, but there were people there that did know and did understand and were benefited by it. And Paul's making the argument, if you got someone who stands up and speaks in a tongue and no one's there to interpret, no one's edified, and even the person who's speaking is not edified. Right. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks that he does not understand what you say? If C, if C starts saying wonderful things about Lord and about Jesus and the wonderful thing about salvation in Korean, I don't know when to say amen and when not to. Because I don't know what he's saying. Paul's trying to make the point here. Many, he's, he's beating the same horse here, just trying to beat it into their heads. If you speak in a language and no one understands what you're saying, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do the church any good. You, you don't have any understanding. You don't know what you're saying. It's, it, you're speaking to the air. It's better to know what it is you're saying because that's when you're pulled up. Well, Paul wasn't there on the day of right? No, he wasn't, but Paul did speak in... Evidently, Paul says he spoke with other languages. Now, did he have the miraculous gift of languages? Um, it doesn't say that he did. All right. In, 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 first, in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Don't speak with tongues of men and angels. Well, I think what he's saying is he, he says, I can speak any languages, language, whether it's, it's a language on earth. Do the angels have languages? Does the angelic beings in heaven, does God have a language he talks to the angels in? He must have, he must have right? Some way to communicate, right? What do you use? Does he use English? Hebrew? Latin? Yeah. But, but, but God does speak, God communicates to the angels in a language that they can understand, evidently, which is not English, right. you know, understand. but they understand what it is, whatever that language is. He's making, he's making, a, he's trying to make a point, saying, I can speak with any language on the earth or any language in heaven, and if it's not done with love, it's noise, whichever language you pick. If it's God, if it's the language that God created the universe with, if if it if it's not done with out of motivation of love, it's noise. That that's that's the he's trying to he's trying to drive home a point. It's it's don't go there and say, well, we got angel talk and we got men talk and that's that's not the point he's trying to make there. Does that make you follow what's being said there? 
Because some like to say, well, you know, when I speak in tongues, I'm speaking angel talk. And they, well, I get it out of 1 Corinthians 13, 1. It's not verse there to tell you that there's talk, angel talk. Paul's saying, if I do, if I would speak with the tongues of men, I would speak with the tongues of angels, the language of angelic beings, and I'm doing it without love, it's noise. Whichever language you pick, it's noise. And then he says, um, for verse 17, for indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. One might be praising God in a language, and if I don't understand what it is, it doesn't help me. I can't thank God. I can't praise God. I can't say amen or hallelujah because I don't know what it is they're saying. In verse 18, I thank God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Tongues is what? Language. Languages. Now, again. Yeah, but he wasn't addressing there's, the he's addressing the main. He's issue. addressing languages. I'm trying to trying to figure out how to communicate their battle, this. Their battle was the whole. Their battle was the gobbledygook yeah. language, ecstatic speech. But there was a valid message, and Paul's trying to say of the valid message. If 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 I if I come in, I speak in a tongue. And what does he mean? He spoke in tongues more than them all. Language. Languages. Paul knew multiple languages. All right. He knew. Now, if he would go to Corinth, let's let's just pick an example. If he walk into Corinth and start preaching in Hebrew, who would understand him? No. Only Hebrews might have understood him, but most of the church there was Gentiles. They wouldn't have understood a thing he said because they, they don't know that language. Paul said, I speak more languages than any of you people do. But I'd rather speak five words in a language you can understand. Well, then I think really he was addressing two different issues. Either they were actually yeah. using the truth of the tongue, and then they were also those who were using it as the godly language. Right. Pretend they were spiritual. Well, it, it's, it's, really under, it's difficult to understand. You really got to think through this. I wish I had a lot. I wish I had more weeks to work through this text. If you really want to get a good understanding, read MacArthur's commentaries. He does a really good job of dealing with this, all right? I always looked at it. But what you have... What Paul's trying to talk about here, okay, is that in the early church, you had this thing called languages. It's glossae, okay? That's languages. And he's saying there are languages that you know. All of us know a language in here. Some of us know more, right? These are learned languages that we know, that we can speak in, that we can understand, because we either learned them or grew up with them or whatever. We have learned languages, all right? But, 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 in the early church, as a sign of judgment, God gave the ability to speak an unlearned language. All right? This is a miraculous part. This is the Acts 2 part. All right? You've spoken a language. This is, this is language. It's, what is a language? Language has syntax. Okay? It has meaning. Okay? And it can be interpreted. All right. There's there's meaning to it. There's a syntax to it. And what Paul is what what Paul is dealing with is that the valid gift of tongues in the time he was speaking, and as he works through this text here, he's he's talking about both of these components. And what Paul says, I speak with tongues more than you all. What's he talking about? 
the the unlearned ecstatic speech or not ecstatic speech, the unlearned speech he gets? Probably not. He's talking about the languages he knows. But there was a component that could have been an unlearned language as a sign of judgment to Israelites, to unbelieving Jews. But All right. The issue that they were abusing. And so then. That's, that's what you were mentioning before, that they were... And then they, they have this... Mimicking these other people. I always look at it, Paul was correcting them from... Don't, number one, don't hunger for this gift because it's not, it's not the best. It's yeah. Not, uh, number two, you guys are abusing it. You guys are doing it in church services that's causing confusion. And then it talks about if a believer comes into the church... And an um, you know, and the, the prophecy and the tongues, how it's going to edify that unbeliever. I was looked at as that he was correcting these guys, of saying, you know, don't be wild. He is. Don't be wild with this. You're right. He is. But he's also there. There's there's several themes going on here. One of the themes is in the Corinthian mind, you had the learned languages, a vowed language, and the gobbledygook that that came in from Delphi, from the pagan religions of the day. And the Corinthians were after this, this stuff here to make themselves appear spiritual. They, their idea was, again, the, the, the mentality is the more out of control and ecstatic and wild your talk, the more in communion with God you are. That was their mentality. That's their thinking. And Paul is trying to deal with two issues. The first issue is this is not valid under any circumstance. All right. Because they were actually cursing, supposedly cursing God and things like that. So that's not valid under any circumstance. And even when you do have the gift of language, in other words, you can come in and talk in Hebrew or Greek or Latin or whatever. If people there can't understand you, you're talking to the air. Yeah, that's another issue. You're talking. That's a different issue. And and he's treating both of these together in this okay. text. He's treating both of these together. When you talk about glossy languages, he's really talking about both of these components here. When he says, I speak with more languages than all of you, he's not saying I speak more unlearned languages. I don't know what it is I'm saying. Paul definitely knew what he was saying. He's saying, I just, I've learned more languages. Now, what do you have today? What do we see today in the church today? We see this piece of it. All right. Think of prophecy. Prophecy is the same way, right? In, in, the, in the early church, you had this a part of prophecy that was just plain preaching, and then you had a revelatory component. There was. You didn't have the whole scripture, but what do you have today? The we have the preaching component of that. That's still operative today. The revelatory component has gone away because we have the word of God. We have the completed text. We don't need more, and especially when supposedly this revelation they get contradicts scripture or is silly and superfluous, like who's going to win a football game. That's not, that's not God talking. That, that's not. Is the revelation, is, is the Bible pointing to Christ? Christ is the revelation. He came, he died. That is and we have the full message. We have the end of the story. So there is no more revelation. No. Revelation. There's illumination to help us understand what we have. But God's not giving any more revelation. God's not saying, I forgot to tell him this. I got to get somebody to 
come up with a prophecy on that. That's not because we should be writing this stuff down and and having you know the first book of Benny Hinn and the second book of Benny Hinn, you know, and first Copeland and second Copeland, whatever you know. We should be writing this stuff down. This is not revelation, okay? And and, and that's the confusion for us because when Paul wrote this, there was a miraculous component to these gifts. Today. Those gifts still exist, but not with the miraculous component, I believe. Why? Because you see it disappear historically in the church. You see it disappear. Okay? And so what Paul is saying here in, in Corinthians is um, in verse 19, I'd rather speak five words that you understand than 10,000 that you don't. Because it doesn't do you any good. And 10,000 is the highest word in the Greek, the highest number in the Greek language. I'd rather speak to you in five words you can understand than billions and trillions of words that you can't. Because it's not going to do you any good if you don't understand it. It's not going to build you up. It's not going to edify you. It's not going to help you a bit. Then he says in verse 20, he says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be bathed, but in understanding be mature. In other words, Grow up and think about this. Understand, in the law it is written, what law? Well, the Old Testament. With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. Okay, now here's the theological argument. Can I go a few minutes long today to, to, under, to help you understand this? Okay. Here's the point he's trying to make. I'm going to go anyways, whether you want to or not. Here's the point he's trying to make. Here's the point he's trying to make. All right. Tongues are assigned to the unbelievers. In what sense are they assigned to the unbelievers? Well, you understand this. You got to understand what what the context of this passage here is. Verse 21. Um, I'm trying to think. Where's it? Uh, Isaiah. And what's, 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 what's the point God is making in Isaiah? Well, here's what he's making in Isaiah. He's preaching to the people. He's telling them, repent, repent, repent. What are the people doing? All right. And finally, God says, you know what? If you're not going to listen to me in a language you can understand, I'm going to talk to you in a language you can't. They say, well, how does that help? What does that do? Well, what is God saying there? Here's what God's saying. If you will not believe and you will not listen, I'm going to make it so that you cannot believe and you cannot listen. You don't want to listen to me? I'll fix it so you can't listen to me. In fact, I'm going to talk to you in a language you can't understand because you wouldn't listen in the language you could. I'm going to talk to you in a language you can't. And so what were the tongues given for? They were given as a sign of judgment to Israel. Because they would not believe. And, what did, and how, did, how did that unbelief culminate? Well, they killed their Messiah, of all things. And so what did God do? When, they, when the Jews killed their Messiah and rejected their Messiah, God turned to what? The Gentiles. He turned to people with other languages. It was a sign of judgment on Israel that he did this. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Tongues is a sign to the unbelievers. What's prophecy for? Preaching. What's that for? Believers. Why? Because you understand what is being said. Think of the parables. Remember in, in, in Matthew 13, Christ is talking to the crowds in parables. And what do the people say? 
Why are you talking to them in parables? And he says, because seeing they can see not and hearing they hear not, their their hearts have grown gross dull, their their ears are stopped up, and, and it's a sign of judgment. Christ was speaking in parables to hide the truth from the people who didn't want to hear. But the people who it was explained to got what? Edified. They got built up. They understood. When Christ explained the parable of the tares, there's understanding. When he explained the parable of the five or the four soils, wow, okay, I understand. But to the average person there, that was just a fun story. They didn't know what it meant. It's a sign of judgment. Therefore, if the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you are out of your mind? Why? Because you're acting just like the people up in Delphi. You're nuts. We don't understand what it is you're saying. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. How is he, why is he convicted? Why is he convinced? He understands what you're saying. He understands the language. He understands what it is you're talking about. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Why? Because he understands what is being said. All right. If an unbeliever. Now, the unbeliever here is the pagan unbeliever. It's not talking about the Jew here. Tongues were a sign of judgment to Jews. Go back to Isaiah 28. All right. And, and that's picked up, I think, again, in Acts where it talks about this. It's a sign of judgment. And he's saying if you if your church comes together and everybody like, you know, you're talking about the churches you are in. Everybody's in there. Everybody's yelling and talking and all. And someone unbeliever comes in. He's going to think you're all on drugs or drunk or something. He's going to leave. You know, but if you come in and somebody's pre and you can understand what they're being said and you can understand the message and understand what God is saying, you are convicted because there's understanding involved. Here's the point, folks. Let me let me let me make it clear here. The Bible says that you are benefited when you understand what God is saying. If you don't know what God is saying to you, it doesn't do you a bit of good. You got to understand and understanding means you need to be able to comprehend it in words and language that you can grasp. How is it then, brother, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, as a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, and an interpretation? What was happening in the Corinthian church? You all come together and it was pure chaos. Everybody was up talking. You had somebody speaking in Hebrew over here, somebody Greek over here, somebody gobbledygook over here, and everybody's got a word or a phrase, or everybody's trying to get their little word in edgewise and say their little latest revelation, and it's total chaos. And who's being edified? Nobody. <coughs> it's chaos. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or th at the most three each in turn. Oh, there, here's some rules. You want tongues. You want to believe in valid tongues today? Fine. Let there be only two or three people at the most in a service speak in a tongue. And, what, and they're to do it what? In turn. What does that mean? One at a time. One at a time. And what do you need to have along with it? An interpreter. Now. Do you have that in the churches today? No. no, you don't. That's not what you have. What do you have? You have everybody standing up in total chaos in this thing. If there's no interpreter, what are you to do? Be quiet. Shut up. If there's no interpreter, if there's no one to interpret what you're saying, you are to keep silent. Implied in that is what? You have the ability to... 
not talk. You shut up. So when that preacher gets up and he starts spouting off blah, 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 whatever, he's violating this passage because there's no one there to interpret what he's saying. And by the way, who's doing the interpreting, him or someone else? Someone else is interpreting. Because if he's interpreting, he could say anything. And, you know, who, who's to say whether it's right or not? Let two or three prophets speak and let the others do what? What does that mean, that the others judge? Who's the prophets here? The preachers. The preachers. So let someone stand up and preach a message. And what are the other preachers, prophets, what are they to do? What does it imply there to judge? What do you mean by judge? Is what he's saying accurate and correct? Is it, is it in compliance with the scripture? And if it's not, what are they to do? Stop it. Deal with it. So immediately, here's the other problem. When you have somebody stand up and they preach a sermon and somebody says, well, you know, I don't quite agree. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Shut up. They're violating this passage here. They're violating this passage here. Because what does truth say? Truth says, test me. Check me out. Make sure what I'm saying. And that, folks, that's, that's where I'm coming from. I want to teach you the truth. If I'm saying something wrong or invalid and you can show me from Scripture that I'm wrong or invalid, I want to change worse than you want me to change. Because truth says, check me out, validate me, compare me to truth. Error says, don't judge, don't question, don't criticize me. All right? And if you got preachers that do that, run from them. Stay home and watch soap operas. Don't go to their church. All right? But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. In other words, in the church, this chaos has got to stop. One person at a time speak. If you're speaking in a foreign language that others don't understand, let there be an interpreter to interpret it while you're preaching so that everybody can know what is being said. Everybody can be edified and build up and understand what's going on and do it one at a time. And let the, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to what? The prophets. So if I'm preaching, I'm subject to everyone else there who preaches to preach the truth. And they are to judge me. They are to make sure that what I'm saying is in line with the word of God, with scripture. For God is not the author of what? Confusion. Confusion and chaos. That will stop a lot of it in the churches right there. And then verse 34 will put a, put a, put a complete damper on it. Let the women be what? Silent. That's in your version of the Bible. She's got, she's got another version here. Let your woman keep, keep silent in the churches. So they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it's shameful for women to speak in church. This is when the context of the church, when the church meets and the preaching is being done, what are the women to do? Keep silent. And they said, ask your husband at home. Ask your husband at home. And who's in the church? The women. The men well, are nowhere to be found. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but the whole point, what, what was happening in the Corinthian churches is, is, and you look at the average Pentecostal church today, who's doing most of the tongue speaking? Women. Women are. Yeah. Well, that violates this verse here. So that, that's, a, that's a problem there. 
They're to be quiet. They're not to be the one speaking in the church. Well, I think the Holy Spirit knew what was going on, and th this is the Holy Spirit's fault, not you, not Paul's fault. All right, he's not a misogynist. All right. <laughs> Or did the word come originally from you, or was it only you that was reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which are right to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. In other words, check what I'm saying. Compare it with the scripture. Compare it with the word of God. Compare it with the law. And if you're not going to listen to me, what are you going to do? Well, go ahead and still be ignorant. If you don't want to listen to what God says, let the ignorant be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Desire earnestly to preach. But don't forbid languages. Don't go the other way and, and don't let any languages in. But make sure that when people speak in another language, there's an interpreter there. That someone, that people can understand. And let all things be done what? Decently and in order. And we are on schedule. Wow. All right. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this night, and thanks for the learning, and help us to remember it. And thank you so much for your word. And there's so much here that we can still talk about. Um, and I pray that those who would be curious would dig deeper to understand what your word has to say in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.